Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I am here with a very special guest today, Elliot McNair. Elliot, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I have to tell you guys about Elliot. I I kind of get emotional about this. Elliot was actually, Elliot is one of my good friends, and he was one of my first mentors when I stopped drinking. He was, he was my, one of my first sober friends. He was the first person I said the words, I am an alcoholic to. He was the first person that introduced me to concepts of codependency. He was, he was really a leader in my life. So that is my, uh, I have a lot of respect and love for Elliot. And I am so glad that he is on the podcast because I see, I wanted to talk to you about I wanted you to share your story with all my listeners because I know you have a very interesting story about sobriety and I wanted to hear all about it and your experiences in New York and your experiences, your experiences. Just all of the experiences. All of the experiences. Um, well, I would say the only reason I have like talked openly about all of that stuff and like brought, you know, we had all these conversations because I was literally going through it trying to figure it out on my own or like not on my own but like and and you are one of those people that whenever we get together like it's like we just talk openly for some reason like we just always have that so like I would just spill out sort of and then like through virtue of that like it's this thing it's sort of like the concept you give away you can't keep it unless you give it away so I didn't even realize that's what I was doing at the time. I don't want to say I had that much forethought. I don't. But um, I kind of know, like, looking back now, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I was sort of like, I because I just feel like I was like the biggest idiot who finally, like, somebody said something and I, did, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. And then I would talk about it. But then I, like, I think of, I talk to other people about it. They're like, yeah, it took a while for that to click for me, too. And I'm like, oh, you know. But, I think I, I set you I set you up really big there. I should have told you yeah. what by I was going to say. A bag of garbage, but <laughs> he's not a bag of garbage. You know, what? I should I should have told you what I was going to say. But I, I think that that's super important in that, you know, you were saying things like, oh, you know, that took a while to click for me and that took a while to click for me. But your sobriety story, I think the most the thing uh, let's go back a number of years when, you know, you and I first started talking about your sobriety and you, you said to me something that was powerful to me and the fact, and you said to me that you, it wasn't that you had this 
colossal rock bottom when you got sober. You just didn't, you didn't want to feel like crap anymore. You didn't want to go through what you were going through anymore. And I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast and a lot of people that are sober curious or just getting sober are thinking, do I even need to be sober? Do I even need to stop drinking? Do I, are things that bad? And what was that moment for you where you realized, I just, I don't fucking want to do this anymore. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't one moment. It was sort of a series of events that happened. It wasn't like I had like a really bad night and a bad morning. So I woke up and I was like, you know, it was, I tried to get sober for the first time in 2015 and I wasn't doing it for me. I was doing it because my husband was mad at me. Um, and I was like, okay, well, this will fix it. So I'll go. And, you know, and then I accidentally learned a little bit of stuff in my short six months there. Um, just enough. So you went to I AA? Started, I went this to is... AA, yeah. Oh my okay. God, my first AA meeting was like, I, I just Googled AA meetings in New York. Um, and I found one in the East Village that I decided I was going to go to. And it's so nervous. I like left after work, didn't tell anybody where I was going. And then I went in the place online. It wasn't there. It turns out it was another place because anyone who's like uh, been to AA in New York, like, you know, the meetings can move like from week to week, depending on whatever's going on with the space. So I like went to this church. Nobody was there. And then I sort of wandered around the neighborhood and like Googled online and I found it somehow and went in and uh, went to my first meeting. Um, and I was there for like six months. Um, I would say I gave it about 50% at that time, you know, but then I went, I started drinking again um, in true Elliot fashion. Um, Adele, hello had come out. Oh, <laughs> I remember. Yeah, would, 2015. I, okay. Yeah, I thought that would be like a great song to drink to. So yeah, I just came home and like drank, started drinking again. Um, and it wasn't that great of a song to drink to, turns out. Um, but it was a great album. It was a, you know, it was a fucking great album. Adele. Yeah. No, it's an amazing song, but I did not have the experience I thought it was going to have. Um, and then that sort of continued on for two years almost um but i had gone to these meetings and i accidentally realized that they had a point or not they had a point but that i was actually an alcoholic and even though i was like saying it at the time it didn't i was like oh you know whatever and then i slowly like i was like the more i talk to people and the more they have very so much stories and all this stuff so i left aa knowing i'm an alcoholic went back to drinking um and it's i think it it got way worse that time because there was a lot of shame around it like uh because i knew i had a problem i wasn't addressing the problem i had also told about everybody that i was sober uh so and i left aa so i was like oh these people hate me um you know typical alcoholic behavior i think everybody thinks about me 24 7 and uh but even though I'm the biggest piece of shit in the entire world, like that's an alcoholic's mindset. That Everyone's is an alcoholic's mindset. Because I suck. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a but, real thing and you live in it all the time. Oh, yeah. And so it got way worse. Um, I was drinking so much more and I was hiding it a lot this time. And hiding it made it a little more acceptable in my mind, I guess, to drink 
during the day. And, you know, so I just kept where I would, I would go to work. I would come home. I would drink. If I had a day off, I would drink. Like it was just constant. Like I was drinking, 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 hiding bottles, not very well. Um, it just sort of turned, but my husband, he's, he referred to it as like, it was very hard to see me just fold in on myself. Cause I'm not one of those people, like, I'm not going to drink and I'm not going to tear your house. You know, I'm not going to have these big explosions and stuff like that. I'm not that kind of person. Actually, when I drink, I tend to be a way more friendly version of myself, which I don't know. I think I'm still kind of the same person. I just don't have all the bullshit in the way that stops me from interacting with people the way that I would like to most of the time, all the insecurities and everything. Yeah, it gets um, rid of that. It tears down all of those barriers that we put up so that we can connect, even if we don't want to connect, even if it's someone that's boring as hell. We're like, hey, how are you? Well, that's another thing about being an alcoholic is you surround yourself. Not It, it becomes, you aren't surrounding yourself with your friends because you don't want them to see what you become. So it's you start to hang out with the people that drink like you, the yep. people that live like you. And you yep. don't necessarily like those people but they're there. And that's, you know, and I was, I'm very lucky. I have friends that are very persistent <laughs> and um, very understanding. And, um, but I, yeah, I just, I would disappear and I was just disappearing more and more and more and just sitting at home, drinking, drinking, drinking. Um, and I got to the point, I remember going, like I would be walking onto the, like to the subway to go to work. I'd be standing there and the train would be coming in. And I just remember it. And then this thought came up almost every time I was on the train platform at the right before I stopped drinking. It's like, I don't want to jump in front of it, but I wish someone would push me. Like, I didn't want to actively kill myself, but I didn't want to keep going. Yeah. And I was just. And my, one of my friends said it best uh, in a meeting when I was talking to him, or he was sharing, and uh, he said, if I could just go back in time and like view my existence and just hit delete, I would do that. Because then, then nobody's hurt. Nobody's, you know, it's just, I was, was just not here. Um, it's amazing to me how common that thought is, though, because I think I, I did a podcast episode about that very thing, about, about thinking about that very thought. And how many people actually have that thought? How many people that... I know personally have had that, which I think at the time, you know, in my drinking, I had that thought a lot. And I think at the time I thought that was normal, but that normal. was just what, pe yeah. what people thought, you know, but anyway, I didn't mean well, to. Well, no, and we know each other from work. So, you know, as well as I do, like we all have such a dark sense of humor. So, you know, you would make jokes. I would make jokes all the time. Like, you know, Oh, kill me. Like I'm going to go jump in the Hudson. Blah, blah, blah. And I still do. Um, I don't feel it as much as I did then, or I don't feel it. I'm actually fine now, but I, I want to be. At the, at the time, it, there was half truth to it, whereas yeah. this yeah, time yeah. it is less. Yeah. There, or it, it is just in jest. It's proper it's just jest. My, it's just my sense of humor. Yeah. Well, that's another thing, like just talking about sense of humor, and I'm going to try not to go on like all these side that's okay. <laughs> streets and all that. But uh, just sense of humor, that's another thing. When I started going to AA, like started to get sober one of my big concerns is like who am i going to be on the other side of this am i going to have to give my entire life everything that i know of and i'm going to be this boring person that everybody thinks is sad that 
just is white knuckling it through every single like social event that I have. And it is the polar opposite of that. Like I've never had Absolutely. more friends in my life. You were, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up because people do think that I thought that, and I think that's a lot of things that keep people, people from wanting to do this. Well, actually my first AA meeting that I went to, I was so nervous to go there and I kind of came in and I sat in the back of the room and the reason, one of the reasons that I stayed, not the only reason, but a large reason is that the guy that was sitting up front and what I've learned now is called qualifying when you tell your story was so hot. He was like this business daddy that was like, like he had, he had like muscles, but not like too muscly. So like, I was like, okay, I'll stay and listen to his story. And I stayed. Absolutely. Yeah. I have, I have been to meetings where he, it's been his anniversary and he's spoken. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to tell that story. Like, look, I'm still here because you were at that meeting and I decided to stay because I thought you were hot. And I, I will say that openly to him and he just laughs and it's like, well, whatever. But That's awesome. That's really, was, really awesome. But you didn't, but you didn't want to turn into, you were worried um, that you didn't want to become this boring person. Yeah, I didn't want to be, because I didn't know what I look, what I would look like on the other side. And I was like, that sounds so boring, so awful, because all of I had gotten so used to using alcohol to be social. Like I wouldn't, I didn't want to go to like Panera bread with you because there was no alcohol there. Like, you know, we're not doing that. Let's go to a restaurant where we can have drinks. We'll sit down, we'll have drinks and then we'll talk about all of Then, then all of a sudden the universe opens and we have these magical conversations that we can never really remember and go nowhere. But and we never, we that's... never, we never do though. That's, and I think that that's, and I, now I'm going down a side street and I'll bring us back. But now, you know, I'm working, I'm working in a bar two days a week and I love to talk to the people. I've missed the connection. Cause you know, you and I, Elliot and I attended bar together just so that all of you know that are listening. And um, it's, it's really nice after being just on my computer for a year to do that. But I know by the end of it that the people that are drinking, I mean, they're not in the same place as me. All of that is coming home with me. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I mean, and that's, it's, and I watch people, not just with me, because people tend to be more put together with a, with their bartender, but like, I watch people talking to each other and I think, wow, you're in that spot. You're in that place where you are sharing the intimacies of your life. Like how, you know, how you're mad at your mother and how like, your brother is, you know, threatening suicide. And I, you know, you know that nothing is tomorrow. You're going to wake up. You're not even going to remember that you had that. This is something that uh, one of my, my sponsors told me, and it's one of the only things I take from that relationship. But he's like, after about an hour and a half to two hours, if you're out and like drinking, or, or people are drinking around you because I, I, that year, you know, life had to go on. I was in a wedding. I was in, I had to do bachelor parties. I think it was when I was going to a bachelor party and he's like, you can leave. He's like, you can show up late after the first drink. You can leave early. He goes, but after about two hours, people aren't talking to each other. They're talking at each other. Mm-hmm. So he's like, whenever the volume goes up and people start talking louder, that's when you can just kind of, disappear you don't have to necessarily like make a big exit and all that stuff and you go and then he's like and honestly they're not going to miss you because they're drunk and they're talking to each other they might be like where did he go but they're not going to be like oh you know and I, at first i was it was kind of like oh i don't know how to 
take that. And then like now is that I've used it multiple times or like, I'm like, oh, that's actually good. Like, I'm, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. People aren't thinking like it's, it's that alcoholic mindset. Like, yeah, I'm leaving. So everyone's going to notice that I left. They're going to wonder why I left. And that's all they're going to talk about. They don't care. Like, they don't even know. They don't even know you're gone. Just leave. They'll realize two hours later you left. Like, it's fine. Just leave. I think that was one of the things that you told me in the beginning. So I know, remember in the beginning of the podcast, I was saying about all of the things that Elliot said to me in in my early sobriety, because there were all these things that I didn't realize about myself. And I was actually way too proud to go to meetings. And then we were actually going to go to a meeting right before COVID. What? Do you remember that time you busted me going to a meeting right near your apartment? Yes. So, okay. (laughs) So Elliot and I, Elliot was sober. I was not, but he went to a meeting um, on my street. Like if that's not the universe as here we are recording this podcast <laughs> on my street, not even just like on my street, like almost directly across the street from my apartment. So if anyone wants to stalk me, you can put the connect the dots as to where I live. <laughs> but, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I go to I go to a meeting here. And I was like, that was back when oh. I was like debating whether or not I should tell anybody. I was like, you know what? And this is what's happened every single time is like, if I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. I'm always like, you know what? I, I'm sober and I go to meetings. And I, that's another thing. Like in the beginning, I was like, are people going to judge me? And I have never had anyone say like, I'm like, I'm sober. Oh, I'm sober. Uh, and I go to meetings. People are like, that's amazing. Nobody's ever been like, you loser. Like, you know, and that was my fear that people are going to be like, oh, he can't take care of himself. So he has to go to these. And no, everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. Actually, at work today, uh, there was a guy um, there and I was talking to him and his friend uh, as bartending. And he's like, I'm going to have a drink because this guy can't because he's sober. And his friend was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, congratulations. I just celebrated four years uh, last week. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And his friend was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, you know, but he was, you know, it's, he was giving it, his friendship, but he was, you know, nobody but it's also ever... like you learn that is that when people like if anybody is ever giving anyone anyone shit, it's 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 really about them. It's about the, the, the yeah. people that are still drinking are the ones that feel the the awkwardness. Another thing I think you and I have talked about is that when you you know, when you go out and you're not drinking anymore, everything is like everything is fine. Like other people, if other people have something, you know to say about it it's that's about them it's not about you i mean but i've also never experienced that i've never had an experience where i tell somebody that i'm sober or anything like that and they are like what the fuck is wrong with you and that's what i would that that was probably what i was afraid of hearing the most it's like what's wrong with you you can't take care of yourself like you can't stop and that no one's ever 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 said anything like that to me um I've had so many people be supportive. And honestly, the thing is like the people that were drinking that aren't ready or cause you, you kind of know, or my experience, like my body sort of knows things before my head does. So like, I will start to do things when I look back, I'm like, Oh, I knew what was like, I knew I was done with drinking because I was doing this, this and this, but I was just not ready for it here. Or that stuff like sense. that. But so, so I find that like people, the only people that ever sort of alienated themselves from me are people that are struggling and they're not 
ready to hear that. And that's not in a way like that's not a judgment at all. Because God, I mean, you know, we all struggle. I struggled, you know. Uh, but like if it's hard and I, I mean, I'm sure I did it to people. It's hard when I guess I did it to all of AA when I started drinking. <laughs> I just completely stopped talking because I just wasn't ready to face it. And I didn't want to I didn't want to face what I was doing to myself. And I didn't want their lens pointed back at me. So or like their mirror pointed back at me. So I would have to look at it. So I just I pushed them out of my life. And that's the only thing. There's been about one or two people that have sort of just pushed me away, which is fine. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to, it's, it's this phrase you've heard me say many times before. It's not my job to fix people. It's not my job to sort through their shit. So, you know, we'll come back together. I don't hold anything against people for stuff like that. If you're struggling, you're struggling. Like it's, it's hard. I know it's hard. You know, there's so much bullshit that I've done in my like just because I was going through it or struggling that like I can't hold anything like that against anybody. Um, so, in terms of it not being your job to fix people, is that something that you learned through sobriety, or is that something that you always had, like that you realized I that definitely never did not always have that. Um, you know this because we've talked about it a lot, but I come from a very chaotic childhood um when like most addicts like there's you know there's addiction in my family and stuff like that so i kind of had to deal with a lot of that as a kid and what that sort of taught me was and this goes into codependence um which we've talked a lot about is i became the caretaker of everyone's you know it's sort of like if i okay things are crazy but if i can calm things down or if i can make things okay if i can make this person happy if i can do this things will go back to normal. So mm -hmm. I started a very caretaker personality. You know, if I can handle these situations, if I can do this, then, you know, take care of this person's feelings for them, they'll be fine. Um, so I carried that through my life, like all the time. Like you want to talk about the inability to like, uh, to stand the discomfort of others. Hi, how are you? My name's Elliot. Um, my name so is Andy. I, Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And but continue because it's it's important because I think a lot of people that come from families with addicts and, and families with of alcoholics, families with mental illness, you know, it's all, a lot of that same stuff. You take that into adulthood. If I can fix you, then that will somehow bring me peace because that's what you've had to do. And you're like yeah. the perfect person to talk to about this because I think your story is really powerful in that you had a very chaotic childhood compared to most people. It's not one of those things like, uh, I, well, it's, it's, it is, I guess it is one of those things that I didn't realize how fucked up it was until I started talking about it. And that happened in AA. So I don't know if it's that I would have, maybe I would have had these realizations somewhere else if I'd have been more willing to talk openly about my past and my, my childhood and like uh, growing up and, you know, things that had happened but it ha I did it there and through that and working the steps which uh can be this like ambiguous thing but honestly it's just kind of a way to keep you focused on like okay well what or the how did I get here um what do I need to do so I don't feel shame about why I'm here and how do I take that to something else that's all the steps are those are the steps. If you want to 
condense all 12 of them down. It's like, uh, what's, what, what's my part? What can I change? What can I not? And through that, I don't not feel shame anymore and then carry that on to someone help someone else do that. So that's sort of, um, I don't know the first time that that phrase, like it's, it's, we've said it so much. I've said it so much. It's not your job to fix people. I don't know exactly when that was said, but it was something that sort of like hit me and like resonated. For, well, at first I was like, yeah, I know, duh. But then like the more I think about it, I'm like, not only is it not my job to fix people, you can't fix people. You can't. Like only you people, can't. Only people can fix people. Only they can fix themselves. That's it. So, so I want to, I want to go back to that because you said, well, you can't fix people no more than your husband could fix you when you were struggling with, you were struggling with alcoholism and, you know, no one could fix me until I was ready. I mean, I had a lot of things going on in my life. You know me a long time. I mean, and way more than alcoholism, but you, you have something. No, no, I, well, I was going to say like, I, and I, I just want to say like, our relationship was never one of. You, you, you and I are sort of the same. We don't really, we listen. And if we're asked for our opinion, we'll give it and we'll ask questions. But I've never felt you push. You've, you'll ask questions. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about looking at it this way? What do you think about this? And I do the same thing. I, I try very much to do the same thing. It's like, um, so a lot of our conversations, it, it's, it's a, Never, you, you can't fix people, but you can push them away by constantly pointing out all of their flaws. Mm-hmm. So the way, and then I've learned this sort of through AA, is if, like, if, you, if you see someone who's struggling in a way that is familiar to you, talk about how you struggle in that. Don't say, well, yeah, you're doing this because of this, and this is what you need to do. Like the, that. It sounds a little bit narcissistic, but it's it's it gives someone the opportunity to say, hey, oh, you've struggled with this, too. And you talk about it in this way openly without shame. I can talk about it like, you know, you, you said that to me right once thing. about it. You said it was attraction, not promotion. Yeah, and that's the way that promotion. you described it. Well, that's it AA. Was. like that's the thing. All right, I guess I keep saying AA. I guess I'm supposed to say this group of people, but it's fine. Um, I think we AA. all know that it's fucking <laughs> yeah, AA. Yeah, it's AA. I mean, I how, about the steps. Yeah, how are we going to be? And I, I want to, and let's. I want. So first of all, I want to go back a couple of a couple of a couple of steps, as opposed to the twelve steps. I want to go back to a couple a couple of these because, well, first of all, I wanted to hear about the moments that you decided to go back because we never really talked about that. You were drinking. Yeah. So you decided to go back and I kind of know the story of like some of the things that happened, but what was really those moments that said, okay, like I'm done with this. I want to go back. And then I would love for you to just share a little bit of more, a little bit more about AA because I've had guests on the podcast now, two different guests that have talked about AA, one who didn't have a very good opinion of AA, one who had a moderately good opinion of AA, but you know, has varying degrees of how he feels about AA. And now here's you and I know your experiences with AA and I want I wanted to hear just they're unique. They're different than the other people that have been here talking about AA. And you're you have a very unique 
you have a very unique experience. Um, you have a very unique experience just because of the types of meetings that you go to, being that they are LGBTQIA friendly meetings. So I would just love to hear about those two things, when you went back, why you went back, and, and more about that community that you have. So I, it was 2017. Um, I would say it was probably April of 2017. Uh, I'd been drinking. I was in that place where uh, I wish I could sort of delete myself. Um, physically, I was a wreck. And I remember I had this pain in my side that I just refused to acknowledge it was a thing, but it was so persistent. And it was, I honestly, to this day, still don't know what it is or what it was because I never went to the doctor. You had it all the time? Drinking. Yeah, but I'm completely fine now. Like I get my, uh, you know, the, the, the normal physical stuff and it all comes back fine. But I was not taking care of myself. Um, so it was like April and I was at work, drinking at work, spoiler alert. Um, came home, of course, stopped at the little liquor store, got some bit of drink and I got this text message from this guy uh, that lives in my building uh, that we both know that turns out worked in the same place before I was there. Um, he's like, did you hear about Helen? And Helen was this neighbor that I had that was like, she was a real bug, like the busy body of the building. But I would be drunk. I would be downstairs doing laundry. And she would, you know, it's that same, the company you keep. Like, so I would mm -hmm. just talk to her and she would talk to me because I think, I don't think she necessarily cared that I was really drunk and I didn't really care because she was just there to listen. Yeah. But we would talk. So we were friendly. And she actually texts us happy, happy Easter or something. I don't know what it was, but she texts us some, me something and I didn't respond. And I was like, not maliciously. I was just busy and I didn't respond. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh, you know, whatever. But he was like, did you hear about Helen? And she, I was like, no, what, what happened? And so she had actually hung herself in her apartment and the superintendent. And I remember getting that information and like feeling, oh, okay. Um, and then all of a sudden it just hit me and I started bawling, crying. Cause I, and like my husband's like looking at me, he's like, what? And I'm telling him like, they like Helen killed herself. So he's like, I didn't realize you guys were that close. So it was like, but it was just one of those, like looking back, I just knew exactly where she was in that moment. Like to where you look around and you're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, so my husband thinks I'm like having a mental breakdown, which I guess I sort of was. Um, so I go to bed and I go to work the next day. Um, and we had like this school group coming in and we do these large parties and stuff like that. So I was like, Hey, um, is there any way I could go home early as like, uh, this, I told him what happened. The lady killed herself and I was like, and just. I don't know why it just broke my heart the thought of someone coming to clean out her apartment from her family and they're being like no one cares. So I just wanted to leave flowers in the door. So they were like, yeah, sure. After this party, you know, you can go. So we're like setting up. And then all of a sudden I see everybody like running to the windows up front because we have these huge windows that look out on Times Square. Um, and I was like, what's going on? Like, you know, so that's never good whenever that happens. 
Yeah, uh, no, so, it's it could be a bomb. It could yeah. be like. <laughs> so I run up to the window, or I'll be dramatic. <laughs> you know, I went up to the window, and um, it was just kind of chaos on the streets, and I was like, "What is going on?" And then all of a sudden, these kids start coming up the stairs, and they're crying. And I'm like, "What happened?" And that's the day that the guy drove his car up the sidewalk in Times Square, and he had actually run over. I think I think he ultimately ran over like four people. He killed one girl. She was laying out there in the middle of the street. And the um, kids had seen the kids, the kids had the kids seen were, that was he drove right in front of them outside. Oh my god. And, and I remember that it was a big group and that you I remember coming in like I think no, I never came in later that day because they actually closed we shut down. They closed the restaurant for because it was evidence. You couldn't you weren't allowed to it was a crime scene. Yeah. But I remember you telling me the story. I think it was the following day just about how, I mean, those kids were a wreck. I mean, just. Oh, they that. were. Yeah. They came from, I th- think they were from like Ohio or some Michigan somewhere, but they were like, I don't know, but that's, that's also the, that, that moment is exactly where my being very codependent comes in handy. It's like clutch because I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix these kids. So you know, I start doing the normal thing. And honestly, by the end of it, I think we had calmed him down a little bit. He's still traumatized. They're not going to fix that. But yeah, in, in situations like that, I'm very good because I just shut down. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what needs to get done. And well, you know, I'd start immediately doing that. Uh, so that happened. Um, it's kind of, then, it's kind of, it's just a lot that like when you, when you finally notice that about yourself, like, oh, I'm really good in crisis because I've lived an eternity in crisis. Yeah. Like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's absolutely. It's like, oh, I, I chaos. Hi, hi, friend. Like, I know you um, and all these other people that don't. I'll guide them through. Right. But no. So, um, you know, I life kind of went on for about a, a month after that. And then I went to Las Vegas with uh, our friend Christine and Frank. We went to see Britney Spears. I'm wearing a Britney Spears t-shirt right now. Um, Elliot, Elliot is a very 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 possibly the the biggest Britney Spears fan that that may exist but at least that I know in my own yes. life but anyway you went to see Britney Spears in Vegas we went to see Britney Spears and I remember saying to Frank and Christine because Christine had actually come up to me one day at work when she saw me drinking and she's like this was probably right around the same time she goes and she just sort of pulled me aside she goes hey look I don't know what's going on with you and she was like, you know how like you start to talk and she just sort of like stopped me from talking. She's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with you. But every time I look at you and she takes and waves her hand in front of her face, she's like, there's nothing here. There's nothing going on. So I don't know what you need to do, but you need to do it. And she just mm-hmm. walked off. And I remember I was not mad about that at all. And I just remember it being one of those things where I was like, she just snatched my wig clean off and exposed me to like you know not to not to everybody because it was just me and her but she just i was like she literally just told me the truth that people a lot of times aren't willing to say i i took it as nothing but her love for me it wasn't you know and if you know christine like she's from brooklyn she's like she's a tough chick so not a lot of bullshit with her she is the kind of person it doesn't matter how if she if she's not going to spare your feelings she is yeah. if it if she believes that 
you're doing something to harm yourself and you're her friend, she's going to tell you about it, which I have a lot of respect for her for that. It's a skill that I've had to work on in my life because it's uncomfortable to tell somebody. It's uncomfortable to tell somebody. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. But she's also one of those people when she says something, she like she got she's not. I don't say a, a woman, a few words, but her words, her words matter. She doesn't just talk. Mm-hmm. So like, I, you know, and it, it was, it sort of forced me to be like, okay, like people that I know and love and care about can clearly see what's going on. Um, and I didn't really take any steps at the time. So we went to Vegas after that. And I said to her and I said to Frank, I was like, this is my last hurrah. Like, we're going to be in Vegas. I'm going to drink this weekend. And then that's it. Uh, this was probably like, I think it was like May 25th or something. We went to the show. So, you know, Christine, she gave inside side eye, but she's like, all right, whatever. And then we come back from Vegas. Uh, I had every intention of quitting. Like the minute the plane landed. But I didn't for about three more weeks and then one night I was just at home drunk like just stupid drunk I was drinking a bottle and I'm not even exaggerating when I say a bottle of vodka a day like a bottle of Tito's this is not that's not me being like I probably I know I absolutely drank an entire bottle of Tito's a day the only reason I didn't was because I poured some of it out so I wouldn't drink the whole bottle that's it like um I was just at home one night and there was this guy that I had become friends with on Facebook randomly at a meeting he handed me his card and i uh this is like french guy and i was like what i was like he handed me his card so i just started following him on facebook and i knew he was sober and he posted a lot so i don't know why i just reached out to him i was like hey are you still sober and if you're in the program um are you looking to be a sponsor while i was blackout drunk this was june um got back to me said yeah so let's meet so i stopped drinking we met on the tin um at a meeting and i i would be lying if i said i went back thinking i was going to stay sober like i thought okay this will get it in check for a little while and then you know so i got to start going to meetings i and i go to a lot of like new york city has a meeting for everything it doesn't matter what you are who you are where you're from you know what you're into there's a meeting for that so i I go to gay meetings um and that you talk about intimidating me fresh off just treating my body like shit feeling like shit showing up to this meeting with these people that have been sober for like four or five years and you know and And they're beautiful oh beautiful like these people they're beautiful like yeah like what the fuck like what is happening i I'm such a goblin, like sitting in the back, sweating, just pouring sweat, and like everybody's butt. This is this is a good plug, by the way, for anyone that's looking to get sober. That you do end up st- looking beautiful and not sweating and not feeling like absolute shit. But yeah, when everybody walks in that door, and I mean, my door was figurative because I didn't, but you know, but when you first start, when you first start on the the path of sobriety. Yeah, you you look and feel yeah. like like you don't belong. Yeah. But you were walking yeah. into these meetings, and these are no. meetings that you continue to go to, and you continue to love. So I, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I sidetracked us from that. 
no 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 it's yeah it's fine um i went i I, I forgot about this till just now i went to that first meeting and i was a little bit late i wasn't late you know what i'm like i wasn't late my soon to be sponsor was late and i didn't want to go on that show and guess my first sponsor from when i tried to get to get sober in 2015 was the speaker that day oh really yeah and i just missed him speaking and i was like i remember being like oh thank god like because i didn't want to hear like and i had this fancy and he went out meanwhile that's not how it is they don't you, you don't talk like that like nobody but, does um, that nobody does no, that but yeah. you always but, think you, know, you yeah, always yeah, every, go back to that whole thought of everyone's gonna think about you know i was a failure i was this yeah. but doesn't happen but you were waiting for um your sponsor Soon the new sponsor, sponsor, the soon-to-be yeah. sponsor, who was late. Um, who was late? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so this. You guys have done. We're not going to discuss in the podcast the rest of. Uh, I I know everybody that Elliot is talking about. I don't know these people. I know about all of these people. So, so, so sometimes if I seem to laugh inappropriately, that's why. Um, but anyway. Well, look. I'm going to be flat out honest because it's, it's that sponsor sponsor relationship was wholly inappropriate and nothing ever happened. Let's just get that out of the way. There's not anything. Yeah. But I mean, you know, your relationships can be inappropriate I, without that, but. Well, I, a codependent met a narcissist and the typical arc of that relationship played its way through. Um, but to say that, there is nothing more intoxicating than when a narcissist has you in their sights and they're love bombing you and all this. So for my first three months of AA, like I had someone that was on my shit, like constantly, like, how are you? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you're doing great. You're doing great. Like, you know, and all this constant, like positive reinforcement, which was great for me at the time. I was like, oh, you know, maybe I am doing. Um, so I started going to the gym, uh, started taking care of myself. Uh, started going to the gym with my sponsor and then tr- basically training him um, for free, which, you know, whatever. I'm not a trainer, so I don't charge for it or whatever. But, um, and then we sort of became like this, like, best friend. Like, if he was there, I was there, you know, and we would, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go, I'd work out with my sponsor, we'd go to breakfast, I'd go to work, I'd get off work, I'd go to a meeting. Then we go to dinner with my sponsor and then I go home. And it was like, just, you know, that was our, it was, there was, there was no like personal boundaries, everything, you know, um, anyways. I, but you needed it at the time. And I think I, at, look, the time, at the time it was, it was very valuable to it, you. I think that there were a lot of, a lot of things. So for, for all of you guys that are, that are listening and, and might feel like you might be codependent, sometimes that is what works. But I know yeah. that you got to a place where you realized what it was. And that I want to go back to that because codependency is is a thing. I mean, it's a thing with yeah. alcoholics. What was that that moment where you were like, okay, I need to start to detach. I need to start continuing to go to AA and utilize this for my own good while getting away from this. It was because- basically the last week I was with that sponsor. Um, we had already gone through the steps and everything like that. I was not drinking. Um, I was, you know, if you're, fr- when you're first starting to not drink, that's all you think about. 
like for me anyway, that's all I thought about was like, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. Who's drinking? Not me. <laughs> you know, that's it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. The first, well, the, the milestones are the first 90 days, the first six months in the first year. So the 90 days is, it's honestly, it's difficult to get there, but you have a lot of encouragement in your first 90 days because you go to a meeting and you raise your hand and you say, I have 60 days and people clap, like, you know, and that kind of stuff. So you sort of have the positive reinforcement of the group to keep you going the 90 days. The 90 days of the six months is a little bit more difficult because you don't have the constant applause every day. Meanwhile, yeah. you don't, need, you know, you, you're fine. Like you don't need it, but. But, you know, with behavior, you know, we do, we do like that positive reinforcement. I know when yeah. I was stopping drinking, I mean, 90 days was a big deal for me, even though I didn't go to meetings. And even I remember like having a hard time and being like, oh, I'm going to buy myself a present today because I really yeah. feel oh, like yeah. getting wasted. <laughs> I know? remember leaving work one day after I was particularly shitty day at work and being just so angry i went and rage bought two pairs of sunglasses at the oakley store like i was like what? didn't even make sense but i was like whatever this is shit you have to do that i tell i tell this to people and i tell this to client like i haven't really worked with anybody in recovery yet but i've worked with clients that are trying to you know stop different uh, other other behaviors and i'm like listen you gotta buy yourself shit if you're having a bad day and you're not getting positive reinforcement from somewhere work it in, yeah. <laughs> just figure out a way to do it. But so, so you're in between. So I, I keep sidetracking us, which makes me, it's I don't fun. know if that makes, makes me a bad host, but between 90 it. days and six months. Um, but you so, don't really yeah. need it. So it's not that you don't really need it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's still there. You can always raise your hand and say, look, I'm struggling. And then people, that's the biggest thing for me is that people, going back to like walking in this room full of like beautiful gay guys that I was so intimidated by that actually a lot of them I consider like we're friends now but it's just this great equalizer because you go in there and it's a place where when you're first in there it's hard to drop all the bullshit and just talk openly but you hear these people that you think like I look I remember there's this one guy he's so sweet he's so gorgeous like he's just beautiful not even like hot like he's beautiful I remember like he's somebody that I would look at and be like he has absolutely no problems but he would come in and he would say you know openly talk like today I felt like shit because I you know I felt sweaty and gross when I walked in the room and I thought everybody was looking at me and that's all they were going to see they were going to be like what's going on here and I'm like wait that's exactly how I feel so that's what the meetings did for me it was like you're telling me all these gay guys in here that are incredibly attractive feel the exact same way that I do and if I raise my hand and talk about it they're gonna be like yeah uh, that happens so much like after you share your story people walk up and be like oh yeah that same thing happened to me Tuesday and then you know but it just sort of it's this great leveler of society and and everything because you don't know who people are like, you, you know, you get to know people, but like you walk into this room and the whole thing, it's like anonymous is it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, it doesn't matter like what car you drive, anything. You walk in there and you start sharing openly and honestly, and somebody hears it and they say, I felt that way too. And it's, it's just, it's just sort of, it was just so nice to go to a place and like be able to be like, it's not just me. 
And it's very rare for people I find to talk openly and honestly about their actual feelings. It's all, you know, we all, none of us want to appear weak. And in, yeah, we have that ego. We, we really, yeah. and we believe that it, it matters. You were the one that introduced me to the concept of terminal uniqueness, Yeah, which I don't know if that's something that you learned in AA. That is, yeah, that's absolutely. Well, yeah, because it's, it's kind of one of those things that one of the jokes I get, or it's something you sort of flippantly say to people when they're like spinning out a little bit about like, I can't do this because of this. And this is what's wrong with me. And I, nobody else knows how I feel. And nobody else is like, oh yeah, yeah. You're terminally, you're being real terminally unique right now. It's like, dude. <laughs> I love like, the I love the jokes that you talk about because yeah. you had enough, you had told me about what it was like. Oh, what it's like. <laughs> well, that's that's when you're whenever you're you're talking, like you're sharing your story. It's what it was like, what it's like now. Um, and I, oh my god, I completely forgot the third part of it. Um what oh what, what it was happened? like, what happened, what happened, what it was like now, what it's like now. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you told me about terminal uniqueness and you told me about, you know, people that, that drink, cause I, uh, you guys have to, for everybody that's listening, I, I really learned so much about sobriety from Elliot. I mean, I learned so much. I mean, yes, I read a whole bunch of books to get sober and that was how I got sober. But a lot of this other stuff, I really, Elliot learned from you. I mean, I learned, I learned all of these, I didn't know what the fuck terminal uniqueness was. Well, and I didn't know that I thought that I was so special and different from everyone in the world until I realized every other fucking alcoholic has the same fucking feelings. Like I yeah, didn't. You're, you're, it's that your set of circumstances are so different from everybody else that people will never understand. And that's why you have permission to act the way you're like. That's terminal uniqueness if you want to boil it down. But I mean, also, it's it other people sort of refer to it like uh in a like as far as like coming together and like sharing as a community it's like we all got here to the same point some of us drove bmws some of us took an uber some of us did us but all the street signs along the way were the same and we all ended up in the same place we all felt alone we all felt isolated we all felt like no one understood and we all felt desperate like, you know, and then we all ended up in this place where we had nowhere else to go. So we decided we'd try here. And that's, that kills your ego a lot of the time. It doesn't kill it completely. You still have to, like, you just have to work on it. But talking about ego, like, getting over yourself is a big part of AA. Not everybody does. Mm. <laughs> and not to say that I, you know. Getting over yourself is a big part of self-improvement just in general yeah. i mean with everything that you want to work through you have you have to get out of your own way you have to realize that you've done shitty things and there are parts of you that are ugly and you have to accept them and you have to you also, have to accept there them. are parts of you that are ugly but there are part but you still have even the ugly parts are loved like you are not someone like you know there's a very very rare case where someone is so unloved and so off done something so awful right that they're yeah. completely alone. like you have to another thing is i mean it's just seeing yourself through someone else's eyes and that's another thing they like people in AA will tell you absolutely like, oh i i like when you talked about this you did this this is what i think like you know it's not not in a critical way but i and people come in and it's not for them I have people that I met that I'm still friends with and they're like, you know what? I just really don't need it for me having that structure of 
it's always described as like, this is not a rule book. These are the things that we found that work and we tried them. And I think they might, you know, you should try them and see if they work for you. Um, if you ever go, I, I've never been to an AA meeting where it's like, this is exactly how you do it. If you don't do it, get out. Like, you know what I mean? People like take suggestions. And honestly, you know, even in the preamble, the opening or one of the opening lines is the only requirement for AA is a desire to stop drinking. You can show up drunk. I mean, you won't, you know, don't disrupt the meeting and all that. But the only thing you have, the only requirement is to want to stop. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm rambling so much because I have so many. You're actually not rambling at all. That not well, even a little bit. But I want. I'm well, one. I think all of this is really important because I think your experiences are really positive, and I think you're pointing out that community is super important. And as you know, alcoholics yeah. fucking like to isolate. So yeah, alcoholics like to isolate, and then also, I mean, one of the reasons why I go to gay AA meetings is I can't. They come from the same place that I do as a kid because. When you grow up gay in like, you know, areas or place, I mean, honestly, just growing up gay, you're scared to death uh, that everybody's going to turn and run from you. So you sort of grow up sort of never really fully connected to the world. Like you're, you're not yourself. You're, you're a version of yourself that you've curated to please other people. So that's hard to unravel, especially as an adult. Because the thing about like when you're gay, like it's like when you come out, you're basically 12 years old. Like you're, if you come out at 18, you're 18 years old, but you're 12 right. mentally and emotionally because you've never really. You haven't gone through that puberty. Like, yeah. like, I, like I did where like I started my journey with, you know, seeing boys and that just yeah. developed for 25 years like whereas yeah. like you know you're pretending to be someone and well, yeah, then you all learn of a sudden that the things that you like aren't appropriate they aren't appropriate they aren't accepted and you it's something to hide and something shameful something's wrong with you um and you're and from then you georgia. sort of yeah from georgia southeast georgia for us um at jk not really <laughs> but <laughs> but no um you know, new york so city is a lot of baggage yeah honestly i i Moving to New York, like I remember coming to New York and it was like a month after I got here. I was like, this is where I was supposed to be the whole time. Like it just felt like everything about me was ex matched New York City perfectly. Like, you know, um, and it's, it's honestly in New York where I found like my, my people. Um, and, you know, I have... I have like I have you and, and I have our friend Mike, I have Christine, I have, you know, all these people that I are my chosen family, which honestly I'm very close to. I would say you guys are probably the closest, you're, you are the closest people that I have. And then I have my friends I've met through the program uh, that are important to me too, like we're close. But it honestly, it gave me that sense of community that it's, Honestly, I, I wish I was uh, smart enough to think about it as a two for one because I got a, it sort of demystified being an alcoholic and also a gay man at the same time. Because, again, the same thing about being an alcoholic, then people would share openly about their feelings about that, but also about like 
being gay. So yeah, I was like, about how to wait. deal with, because I was like, you're everyone not felt this way the whole time. And no one told me <laughs> like, but you know, when you're, I just when you're moving listen. from somewhere where you can't talk about your sexuality and, you know, I'm speaking, I'm speaking about this in, from the most heterosexual perspective. And I mean, except for like that one time in 2014, like it's pretty much been men the entire time. And I don't know what it's like to have to carry the mess that I am through life and then have to also deal with that on top of it, my sexuality, just not being accepted for who I am, like as a, as a human. So to be, to have to do that, I think that's so important. And it's, it's just why I love hearing your stories about that community, because I know how important it's been and how positive. And I wanted I, I really wanted you to talk a lot about it on the podcast because I think that a lot of people would get a lot of value out of that, but they sometimes don't want to. And I know it's not our job to fix people, but if you, if you could offer any sort of words for people that might be on the fence with why I don't want to, why I don't want to embrace community, why do I don't want to go to this place? I mean, what are the main things that you hear people saying for why they waited so long and how they can change that or why you think that they might benefit from changing that well honestly i guess the first thing i would say is what do you have to lose you know you're if you're already seeking things like if you're if you're listening to this podcast you're seeking something some change some clarity in some situation like you're already looking so why not go to the people that are looking have been looking as well and like have gotten together and say hey we're all looking and we're all you know we don't have all the answers but we come together and we talk about things we have found and because all the things that I've said to you I've learned from someone else and I just repeat them and then you take it and you're like well I learned this from this guy and the truth is I learned it from that guy and you know these are not things that I came up with on my own it's you know it's the shared experience and the shared wisdom of the people but i would say if you're i I was hesitant because honestly i thought there were going to be a bunch of weirdos i was like i don't want to sit in a room full of like homeless people that have like killed people because they drove their car through their house you know it's like that that but that is not what aa is in new york but that's the outsider's perception of what an alcoholic looks like and i I think also i think oh my god the thing is if you if you go to a meeting your outside perception of what an alcoholic looks like is going to be blown out of the water. You're like, like, there's so many people. I'm like, this guy, this guy. It's a, yo, dude, it's about time that it's getting blown out of the water. And I'm not, I'm going to throw it. Yeah, no. But my, my mother said it to me the other day. She said, I don't really think you were an alcoholic. And I'm like, how in the world can anyone say that? I mean, like when you're a person that has to make themselves puke before they go to sleep so they don't die because they drank that much, like, Yes, I'm an alcoholic. Like I might have high hidden it well. But yeah. well, honestly, you know. and this is another thing that I've learned. No one can tell you're an alcoholic. It's something you have to come to on your own. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter if your mom thinks you're an alcoholic or not. It doesn't, you know, it's if you if feel that your life was unmanageable because of your drinking, okay. You meet the criteria. Welcome. Yeah. Again, like, nobody, you know, it's not the the struggle Olympics, you know, and that's another thing I thought was like, oh, it's going to be everybody trying to outdo each other with their stories. No, you just tell your story. And then somebody else who 
is sitting there will, you know, hear it and be like, yeah, I kind of felt that way too. And there's just like something else I do want to talk about with you, especially because this is such a unique, something that's so unique to you as to all the people that I know in that you do attend meetings that are, you know, you do attend gay AA meetings that has been so beneficial to you. It's such an important part. There is a, I think that in New York city, especially there's a lot of, there's a lot of binge drinking and drugs in the gay community. Obviously you have a whole community of people that are not doing that. So when you said, yo, I thought I'm going to go to these meetings and I'm going to, I'm going to become a boring person. And in reality, you found this huge social life of people that are also gay, that are also sober, that are also, you know, healthy, that are also fun, that you have a great time with. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your life now, you know, and what your social life looks like now that you're sober and as a gay man? Well, with the exception of the last year. (laughs) With the exception uh, of the last year, because what the <laughs> fuck did any of us do? We said sit yeah. on Zoom like we are now. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, my life, I went from sitting alone, drinking all the time, going to work, drinking all the time, coming home, drinking all the time, to waking up, going to the gym. And I don't want to be one of those annoying people, but it wasn't, it wasn't for anything, anyone else it got to the point it was for me like it was something I like to do that before my day so that like I'm like no matter what happens to the rest of the day I've done something for myself then I can go to work and do things for other people then I can go to the meeting and like be present and you know contribute there uh so I would do I would do that I would go to the gym I would go to work I would go to a meeting I would go to dinner with people from the meeting uh, I would have people over to my house I would go I was just I would start going places and doing things. And it's all these things. The narrative in my head always was, it doesn't matter if I show up because nobody really wants me there anyway. Not that dark. Like it wasn't a conscious thought I have. That was just my feeling. It's not like I was like, nobody wants me. I just always felt, oh, it doesn't matter if I show up because like they don't really want me there anyway. Just being nice, you know, which is a result of how I grew up. I, I, res- I resonate with that. I know those thoughts. It's like, oh yeah, no one's going to really care. Like if I don't go, if I, or blowing people off at the last minute, I'm like, well, if I blow these people off. Which is my favorite thing. I love nothing better when somebody I, yeah. like, hey, we have, we have plans and I need to cancel. I'm like, oh no. But then suddenly, yes. I almost sent somebody a gif today because I had a meeting cancel and I just wanted to sit, you know, that scene in Matilda with Bruce Bog with the chocolate cake. And I wanted to send a gif of when your meeting cancels and you can do something for yourself, big chocolate cake. I love it. I do love it, but it's people do want you there. Like people, people do want you in their life. What I've come to learn is that, um, and this is another thing from the AA community is very persistent. <laughs> um, so if I like wouldn't show up to a meeting that I normally go to, I may have like three or four people like, hey, we missed you tonight. Where, where, where were you? Like, or not like that, not like what, are you okay? But like, hey, we missed you. Like I normally see you. What's up? Hope you're okay. And I'm like, oh. And then I slowly became that person where like people wouldn't show up to meetings and I'm like, hey, where were you tonight? Like, we, you know, missed you. Like, and I was genuinely just saying, hey, I missed you. Like, where were you? And that is nuts to me. As an adult male, uh, like we will like to each other be like, 
hey, I missed you. Where are you? Like, I haven't seen you forever. What's going on? Like, the phrase I missed you or I miss you is like, it's weird, but it's like not something I wouldn't have really ever genuinely said before. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like able to admit, like, yeah, I actually really like you and I want to see you. Like, we're friends. Like, you're a part of my life. And then I'll sh- take more of an effort to show up and like be present with people. As opposed to being alone and wanting to or and, and wanting to drunk. hit the delete button and not, you know, when the train is today the day, like is today the day and that look, somebody put it it did not fix all my problems. I don't want to give that illusion that like all of a sudden now I'm like great. Like girl, I, I got real in shape. I got real out of shape. I'm moderately back into shape, not great, but like you know, life continues, problems happen. But the difference is now I like actually deal with the problems <laughs> instead of just ignoring them and or drinking until it goes away or not that it goes away but it just goes it goes away out of my vision. for a little yeah. for a little while and then you know but you can always yeah. keep that steady drip and it, 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 i think you have in the last four years since i've known you since you got sober you've been you know you've you're always working on yourself and you're always taking that time to ask yourself the questions is this serving me is this is am i is this you you value yourself i think that that's something that you've learned to do i've watched you learn to do it and now you're like i don't am i in the situation i mean i know that you just that we've we've elliot and i are not neither of us are at our former job anymore and i think elliot you got to that point where you're like i don't feel valued in this i'm gonna i'm gonna go and I don't well, know I if that's something. Yeah. What's that? And it's also, there's another thing in, um, in the program they talk about. It's like knowing that you'll be taken care of. And that doesn't mean that like somebody's going to swoop in and save you. It's like, if you're doing something, you're going to get what you need. Yeah. Like if you, and I was honestly, I was back at that job that you left before I did. And never there was back. a moment. Say never went. Yeah, she never, she never went back. She never went back. <laughs> I was a fool. I was an idiot and went back. But I just had a moment where I was like, none of this is ever going to change, and I'm fighting this uphill battle, and I don't have to live like this. So I sort of, I was like, hey, um, by the way, I'm quitting, um, and I went and got another job that day, and then, but it's like, you. Not saying that you can just, it's not the universe, not the universe, but what is it? What is that book called that everybody used to do where they make a vision board? Oh, I don't remember, but that is the kind secret, of to do the with, with the it's universe the and law of attraction yeah. and all of that. But it, it, here's, the, here's the say, it's not the secret. Like you have to be smart. Like you can't just be like, you know what? I don't want this car anymore. I'm going to drive into a river. Like that's, you're yeah. not going to be taken care of in that situation. You know what I mean? Like it's absolutely. Yeah. You have to use your brain, like in your head, yeah. like even I, I believe in the universe. I believe in the law of attraction, I, but I also believe you can't just go dump all the money out of your, out of your bank account oh. without, you know, like talking about I, the universe. And this is one thing, like a lot of people, if you're hesitant, and again, I'm not, I was hesitant to come to AA because I'm not religious. And I was like, oh, it's a religious cult. And there are things that are a little cult-like, but it turns out that those things are, which is a lot of chants, not chants, but like sayings and stuff that are repeated over and over, but it drills them into your head without like, and then it actually comes up in times where you need it. You're like, oh, this is what they were talking about. This is that thing. And like, yeah, I kind of get excited sometimes when I like still 
I'm like, oh, this is that thing they were telling me. They, they, this is what that chant actually means. I get it now. Oh, I love but, it. Well, you get, um, when you start to get healthy, I think you just generally your brain starts to heal and you can embrace spirituality a lot more. Elliot was the first person that said to me, okay, so spiritual people, spiritual people are going to, you know, they're going to be around and they're not going to let you run away. And they're going to bring, they're going to bring you closer to them when you try. And I never had that experience before in my life either. I mean, now, you know, that I have some people in my life that are pretty spiritual and I, I never knew what that was, but I think spirituality is off putting to people before they get to that place where they feel it. And then when you feel it, you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. This is just like a good feeling that makes me. That's the thing. That's that connection. Like once you are connected to like other people and outside of yourself, you're, to me, I was able to sort of, the way I sort of came around, oh, because you just need, in the A, you need a higher power. And all that means is there's something outside of you that doesn't, basically admitting it's about humility it's admitting that you don't have all the answers and something else might mm-hmm. uh, it can be your iphone it can be you know whatever so for a- me anything. It was, well for me i just remember as a kid and this is gonna make me sound like a real uh, story about douchebag but as a kid i grew up in the rural south so there was not a lot of city lights around and you could see all of the stars in a night sky and i would stand outside when it was cold like during the winter months because for some reason the skies were i guess maybe there was less haze because it's very humid down there but you could see the night sky just clear like no clouds in the sky and i would just lay out there for hours and on this porch of our house and like stare up at the sky and i was just like so amazed by it and so for me like that's my nightmare is like this there's just all of this stuff out there that we don't know about and also think about how improbable it is that I'm here like you know from the big bang to this to the little bang when your parents got together it's like (laughs) you know it's just like what are the odds that your parents parents had sex the night they had sex that led to this person and then 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 they met your grandfather and then your grand you know it's just like so improbable that you're here it's mind-blowing it's yeah like, how did all mm-hmm. this happen and i don't know what did it and i don't have you know i don't it could be just a random series of like you know a series of events but to me it's like it's on god siri came back she heard siri, siri's back um but no it's like it could be this random chain of events that led to you being here but I also don't know and I have no control over what's out there and what's out there could come down here and end it all today so like yeah take a suggestion from somebody else because who knows like you live your life like don't just sit at home that to me was my heart it's like it's sort of this calling to take advantage of the improbability of your existence like almost like how dare you waste this like you are so improbable and you're here so take advantage of it like you know and we're all stardust like you don't just sound like a weird hippie but we're all stardust from who knows where and like i don't think that you sound like a weird hippie i think that this is a realization that more people need to make 
And you're, you're right that there is no, that how dare you waste it? How dare you waste this, this chance? And I think when you're drinking, when you're, when you're in that place of not even just drinking, but in that place where you're not dealing with things that you want to deal with, you know, you're never, you're never present. You're always just wait, wasting those moments. You know, you're just flying forward, trying to, trying to escape this gift that we have today. Yeah. It's not so much anymore. Well, and it's also, it's that, um, it's the line from the serenity prayer, accept the things you cannot change. Our God granting serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and willing to know the difference. That's sort of, I, I sort of realize now that I went back and sort of reworded that for my higher power. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess I'd say that maybe the serenity prayer is my higher power, but I don't have all the answers, but it also, you know, accept the things you can change or change the things you can accept the things you can and learn to know the difference and your life will be a lot easier. That's one thing. That's probably one of the biggest changes for me in the last four years. Is there's so many things I just don't get involved in anymore. Or I've learned the phrase, you know what? I actually don't know. Let me look into that. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think that everybody could, could take away. Because yeah, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't in, insert yourself and give too much of yourself away in all of these areas that you can't, that you can't really fix. And that's going to just take away from you. You know, you can, you can only be the best for other people when you're the best for you. Yeah. And I, I think it's awesome. I, my last question to you would be, do you have anything else that you want to share with everybody? Um. Well, I think the most, one of the most important things as far as like getting sober and staying sober is, like I said to you, uh, if you think, if you feel that your life is unmanageable because of it, then, you know, you're an alcoholic, like you're, call yourself, whatever you want to call yourself. But if you're here, if you're listening to this, you're clear, like I say, you're clearly seeking something. Um, This is not me diagnosing anyone or anything like that. But what do you have to lose? You know, okay, you show up to one meeting, go to a meeting in another town, in another city where nobody, you're not going to know anybody and sit there, and, you know, see if anything takes hold. And if you hear something you relate to, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, that's a big one for me. It's, uh, it's a, hard to say like I feel this way I feel stressed out and I don't know what to do right now I don't know what to do I would say would be the mantra of my first year of sobriety and I said that so much like I don't know what to do uh and I would seek advice of people who had done it before um don't let other people's expectations of you keep you away at the end of the day you're the one that has to go home with yourself um you have to be comfortable enough to sleep at night um I feel like, I don't know, it's, it's weird. It's weird to talk about because I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I'm just trying my best every day. and Not even my best, I'm just trying every day. And yeah, I have to be okay with that. Um, 
but... I don't think anyone knows what we're doing. I think we're all, no, it... everybody's making it up as they go. <laughs> everybody's making it up. And I remember the exact moment in my life where I realized that I went to this thing at the UN and I was going to security where I was like on a list to get in. Nobody had the list. Nobody knew where the person who was who had the list. And then security just let us through. And it was like, this is, and this was at, at the, what is it called when all the world leaders get together? Um, I know the general what you're talking assembly. about. It was at the yeah. general assembly. This I think I remember general, this. Yeah. The general assembly. And literally the security is like, okay, just come on in. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, nobody. It's like, this is where all the world leaders are. Nobody knows what they're doing anywhere. Like everything is a clusterfuck. So yeah, everybody that was the exact is 100%. Where I realized. I was like, everybody is just making this up. Like, let's see. Yeah, that's. Uh, Elliot, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can everybody find you? Uh, I mean, you can follow my little Instagram. I don't really post on there much anymore. Back when I was in really good shape, I post a lot of thirsty pictures, but uh, it's been, been a little dead lately. <laughs> He is at Elliot McNair on Instagram, which I will put in the description of this podcast. And Elliot, thank you so much. It has been awesome having a conversation with you today. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Brad. And that about does it for this week on the Get the Fuck Off podcast, everyone. Big thank you to Elliot McNair for being here. Elliot is one of my very good friends. I would not be where I am today without his support, his guidance, his love, his compassion. He truly has been such an inspirational person to me throughout my sobriety journey. And I'm so grateful to know him and to be able to have him here so he can share his story with all of you. I will be back next Monday with another episode for all of you guys. Until then, you can visit me on my website, getthefuckoff.com. Or if you want to share your story, reach out to me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. Or with anything that you would like to talk about, I would always love to get email. Until then, next week, you guys take care, be safe, and we'll see you back here next time.